Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Well, the biggest story in rugby league this week has, of course, been John Morris. He's uh, been let go by the Cronulla Sharks, and Craig Fitzgibbon will take over the top job at the Cronulla Sharks next year. Josh Hannay, he will be the interim coach for now. And look, I've spoken a lot about Johnny Morris, how sorry I feel for him. I think he's been treated very harshly here. I think he deserved a lot better than what he got this week. Uh, I think he's deserved a lot better than what he's got for the last two years, to be perfectly honest with you. And um, that's not taking anything away from Craig Fitzgibbon. I'm sure Craig Fitzgibbon will do a fantastic job. He's had a fantastic intern but I really do feel sorry for Johnny Morris and I've spoken about this a lot over the last few months I was talking about this a year or so ago that he's the most underappreciated coach in the game and I'm glad to see so many people get behind him this week it's sensational to see but as I said that doesn't take anything away from their new coach Craig Fitzgibbon Uh, he's got the credentials to be a very successful coach and as I said he served a fantastic internship he was a brilliant player back in his day and it's a funny thing rugby league here we are it's going to be 2022 and Craig Fitzgibbon is going to be the head coach of the Cronulla Sharks. I mean, it was only 1988. It was only 30 plus, just over 30 years ago that his father, Alan Fitzgibbon, of course, was the coach of the Cronulla Sharks. So it's funny how rugby league goes around in these circles. I imagine there wouldn't be many guys that father and sons have coached the same football teams in first grade. So pretty incredible stuff there. And look, I was lucky enough to have Craig Fitzgibbon on my podcast during last season. He's obviously the assistant coach of the Roosters and he focuses heavily on their defense. So if you're a Cronulla Sharks player who isn't a great defender, watch out because I think Craig Fitzgibbon's going to hit them like a train here. I think it's going to be very interesting. But I thought this was a really good opportunity to go through our Craig Fitzgibbon interview again. He was a champion fellow, a champion bloke, and he sort of uh, he's sort of fallen into the into the background a little bit since retiring. We haven't seen much of him. We haven't heard much of him. We see him in pictures with roosters and stuff here and there, but he's never been overly heavily involved in the media. So I thought it was sensational for you guys. If you haven't listened to this one already, a good opportunity to get to know the Cronulla Sharks coach for season 2022, Craig Fitzgibbon. Let's kick it off. Craig, welcome on, mate. How are we? Too bad. Thanks, yourself. 
Yeah, all going well, mate. I imagine it's a uh, it, it's a busy time over at the Roosters, coming off a, a tough loss last week to the Raiders. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, you know, we probably probably now with the benefit of hindsight, probably had a couple of wobbles over the last few weeks, and um, you know, played a, a team that were committed. Obviously, um, you know, obviously at the top of their game, and and they caught us out. We've uh, we've got to we've got to acknowledge that we've got to do some work around six and some areas of um our play up and um you know thankfully we've had a couple of days rest we've had a tough period over the last sort of um six weeks with short turnarounds and travel and whatever so it's time to time to you know obviously let the guys recover fully this time and then we'll get in and address those issues as the week goes on mate i guess in hindsight um yourself being coached by ricky stewart the uh the old siege mentality that he's able to get together probably hasn't shocked you in hindsight that the raiders got up for that game Oh no! I think yeah, yeah have for well, that last year. Um, yeah, Rick, first point is Ricky is very good at that. The season mentality and ambushing and, and all that, the um, emotional reaction he gets out of his team. He's always had the ability to do that. So we were uh, we were uh, under no illusions going into that game. It's going to be hard. I know they've got some injuries, but so have we. Um, it's it's a hard game against them every time we play. So it doesn't matter where we are on the ladder. It doesn't matter who's in, who's out. We always have tough games against the Raiders. And then, you know, you, you throw that into the fact that, well, last year's, uh, to replay last year's grand final, it was, we weren't we weren't short on our, our mentality, I don't think. We just probably, um, you know, we just got outplayed on the night. And we've, got to, we've got to work out why and, and start fixing that. Mate, you mentioned before a few stumbles over the last few weeks. Tell me about the loss of Victor Radley. In my opinion, he's one of the most underrated players in the comp. And I think he's so so crucial to not only your defence but your uh, offensive structures. Tell me about the loss of Radley. Uh, look, he's a he's an incredible young player and he's a incredibly infectious. So, but we, we've also got to um, we feel like we've got a good enough squad to to win anyway, and we want to work on that. And we're gonna you know you, you can't stick your head in the sand. I think that Victor's a, a loss to your team, to anyone's team, and I think he's finally starting to get. Um, acknowledgement for, for how good a, a not only an, a player is with his skill set and his hard hitting, but he's actually a valuable team member as well. Like he's so um, he's so infectious. But look, we we feel we can cover for the loss of Rads and Sam, and and we need to work out what parts of Rads's game is missing and and fill them in. But we've got full belief in the guys that can play in the middle for us. You know, you have Matt Butchers, Isaac Liu. I would put Seawave in there at times. So we, we feel like we can we can cover the um, the loss of Rads or beat. You'd rather have him there, but it's not possible for this season. Mate, obviously your main role there is um, as the defensive coach, and I imagine you must be extremely proud of what you've seen over the last few years. To deny I'm the defence coach for this week. <laughs> <laughs> nah, look, uh, I, I get uh, Trent's Trent defence mad, so... One thing that helps as a defensive coach, and listen, he, I was fortunate enough when I started coaching that he was already, you know, uh, he'd been coaching for a long time prior to that. So whilst we're the same age and we're good mates, it was really good to have his tutelage in, in all defensive areas. And, and he takes a, a large um, a large chunk of responsibility for it too. So for what, when you're the defense coach and, and you've got ideas or, or things you want to put in place, it's... It, it's only as strong as the word of the head coach to back that stuff up, and that's what he does. And he's got his own. He's got a super high footy IQ and loves his defence as well. So I think we get a, a, a one-two punch combo there where I get a bit of support from him. That's for sure. 
Mate, when I watch the Roosters and I compare them to the other sides in the NRL, I think, you know, it's a small factor rugby league, but it makes a huge difference. Your marker defence... They're just your, you know, your marker split and your second marker, he's always he's always just following and, you know, I call it um, closing that gate. They are just always working. It's obviously something that you guys actively uh, work on every week, yeah? Yeah, well, I think, um, I think gone are the days of, is, is defense is just an attitude. We actually think it's a bit more than that. Because um, set of systems in place that, you know, and insurance policies that make sure you don't get broken down. And now, listen, everyone's going to get caught from time to time, and you're just trying to set up systems to minimise that happening. And um, and to do that, you've got to have players that are willing to work into that system, and players that are willing to turn up for each other because they don't want to be the one that um, they don't want to be the one that lets each other down. Now, um, that's just more on show for marker than probably. Um, anywhere else in the in the defensive line. So having guys that have made a tackle and actually want to make another tackle or want to fill in the space, it's, um, uh, you know, it's, it's part of the system. But it's also, it's, it's good to see. It's a, it's a real good sign of the, the ethic of the team. And, um, yeah, I think everyone's got their own um, policies in place of how that works. But, you know, it's just, it's just trying to make sure that they do their job and, and they want to get heavily involved. Craig, obviously in the modern game, you know, every set has a strike play on it that normally comes on your third or your fourth tackle. And, you know, it's normally um, you're out the back play, which all the teams are, you know, they they spend all week marking those plays. And then normally it's the strike play that comes after the strike play that, that separates the good teams from the great teams. And the Roosters, they just seem to defend that play, you know, call it scramble defense if you want, but they just seem to do it better than anyone. Yeah, if you... If- I think everyone's evolving, actually. Like, I, mean, I think the standard of footy has gone up, whether it's the six again, whether it's um, maybe it's uh, being the premiers. We feel like we've got to get into a war every week to win. Um, and, and I think the standard of footy or, or um, attacking footy against us has been quite high this year. And, but if, if it goes back a couple of years where it's basically just, like you said, two or three one-hit hit-ups, then we'd back ourselves to do a good job there. And if it's only one shift off that, we'd back ourselves to handle that. And then if they take another hit up, um, it's it's sort of given up um, given up a good advantage. And now everyone has different attacking structures. Everyone has different strike players. So sometimes just the ability of a player off the back of the shift. You know, you look at say, um, like a white or someone like that, they'll have a shift and they might not have nothing will happen from the shift, but he'll just pick the ball up off that shift and just go. So... I think that um, you're right, and, and and we have to work very hard at that. That's part of the part of your defensive system, where you know you've got you've got a set of insurance policies in place to try and negate it. Sometimes you get caught, sometimes it works well, but there's um, I think the attacking footy's been a little bit better this year, to be honest with you. Yeah, without a doubt. I, I, how do you feel these rules have um, have affected the game? Like, do the Roosters feel more comfortable now, or is it a bit more of a worry? What What are your thoughts on the new rules? It's the same for everyone, so it's not a worry. Um, I think it's been a good, it's been a positive, it's been a positive for the game on the on the whole. Uh, but I suppose when you're on the wrong end of them, they can hurt you. You know, they can have a fair bearing on what happens during the game. But no, well, I think that um, I think it's been better for the game in general. I think that's important that we everyone's happy with it. Everyone sees the style of play expanding, and it's not a structure, and that's great. It's great for footy fans. My only concern would be. They just bring it in for more reasons and get rid of scrums, mate. Someone's gonna, someone's gonna die soon. It's just hard. It can't get any harder. Like it's so hard on. I'm just watching players 
top line players just give everything they've got week after week. If you start throwing in more six again, no scrums, shorter turnarounds, like, God, what are you asking these guys to do? There's only so much time in their life they can prepare for a game like that, you know? So, that's, um, I think we're at a real good level where we're at right now. And if you leave it alone for a, a, a number of years, we'll acclimatise, and then from then on you move it. But too many big shifts in the wrong direction, I'm not sure what will happen there. Mate, I was going to ask you a little bit later, but now that you've mentioned that, like how much work these guys are doing and how much is expected of them, like I'm just going to throw a hypothetical at you here. You know, if you were to yeah. pick your, your best team for the Roosters over the last two or three years and put them up against your best team from the Roosters that you were involved in that 2002 to 2004, are the guys now, is the game just so different that they would blow them away? Or what? how, how do you say it? Oh, that's a tough question. Yeah, I suppose that you'd like to see... I'd like to see the teams that we were in have the preparation and the detail in teams have now. The, the professionalism, the power and speed of the guys now, I think, is above where we were at. Um, but that's not to say that guys from that era couldn't prepare like these guys and, and take it there. So it's a really tough question. Cause it's not, we can debate. That's a great debate. Um, but the reality is the professionalism and the standard of... Um, Physical preparation, footy preparation, it's its through the roof compared to back then. So whilst everyone was still damn fit, damn tough and all that stuff, like you've got to acknowledge that, that everyone was still playing um, some really good, intense footy back then. Footy's always been intense. I think it's fair to say one ear is softer than the other. It's just, um, yeah, it's just probably the preparation of the guys now is entirely different. Tell me about your uh, your culture at the Roosters at the moment. You know, it's obviously the envy of the league. And I look at, you know, like obviously Cooper Cronk came in two years ago and he's been amazing. But now you've brought in young Kyle Flanagan. Cooper Cronk is still in the building helping Flanagan. I've seen Josh Morris come in this year. He's been amazing. And when he eventually retires, I'm sure he's going to be around the place still. And the next young senator to come to the Roosters is going to have Josh Morris there. They're going to have Brett Morris there. You know, the, the guys that you're signing, they're as important when they're on the field as when they retire to me. And it, it, it's it's an incredible um, culture that you're building there. Yeah, I think um, uh, you've got to basically, I think, acknowledge the coach and setting up, um, set, setting up like we're, we're well, obviously a well-run club from the top to bottom chairman. And we're a very stable environment. Um, we have um, very little external issues or external um Pressures to deal with, so we focus on the footy, and the coach is responsible for making the footy so important to the guys. And then going about recruiting guys that um, you feel can fit your organisation, and we've got a good bunch of guys. We just seem to be it's a real good work environment. I think when the when obviously results are going your way in the in the large part, it's it's a happy place to turn up to work, and everyone feels safe there. You know, they're coming to work, and they're not they're not guarded, they're not. They come in and express themselves well and they give the best account of themselves. And when everyone's happy and looking forward to working hard for each other, it's, it flows. Now, it's very hard to, it's very hard to say what does um, culture look like is in a, in a tangible sense, but it's very, it's very obvious to see when you don't have it. And fortunately for us, we're, we're, we've got it at the moment, but it's, it's so many key aspects to it in, in player, um, player behavior, um, players, uh, acceptance to, to be all into the club and, and the culture. And they're just good men. They're good young men. They've worked very hard on themselves to improve as good young men. And 
when I said because the results have been really strong for a few years, it, it does help. It definitely helps because you don't have that external pressure and noise and things creeping in from the outside. So um, I think we've done that pretty well over the last. But I've got to acknowledge the boss there. He's um, the coach set up um, the club to run as smoothly as it is. Now it's Terry with the shot. The shot is high. Is the shot standard? When I spoke to Bernie Gurr a few weeks ago, he was obviously the CEO back when you were winning uh, the 2002 Premiership and the, the few years before that and after. And he spoke about when you guys won that comp, you had a number of players that he called in the sweet spot of their career. And obviously there's a lot of guys at the Chooks right now in their sweet spot. The one guy I want to ask you, and I think he's in his sweetest spot right now, Luke Keary. Tell me about him. Yeah, yeah. funny how... Um... I don't know if he's ever had a, a really bad period with Kiri. Like, if you really put his... Uh, no, he, I'll give you a story. I remember going with Jason Taylor when um, JT was our first year coach, and he was coaching our attack. So then I remember going over to North Sydney Oval because our feeder team was Newtown. I remember JT said to me, mate, you watched this young halfback playing for North, who was South feeder team at the time. He said, his name's Luke Kiri. He's only a little fellow. You watch him play. And then... um. Just remember that clear as clear as day, JT. So to me, from then on, just watching his South career, and other than the the off field issue we had, his football was it was still enormously exciting. Like he was still a great young player, and see, um, we were the beneficiaries of that off field problem for uh, for us at the Roosters, and, and his game has flourished. And you're right about a sweet spot, like he's playing such good footy now but he's been um, just as important over the last few years to the balance of our team and he's probably stepped up a little bit more in the leadership sense um, without having Cooper there with our real good shared combo and he's stepped up a bit in that regard and it seems to be um, seems to be making him yeah like you said flourish uh, the leadership role that he has is, um, is, has added another element to his to his big game you know, his mindset to big games and his mindset to, to organising the game you know better than me, but I remember watching Brad Fittler around that 2001-2002 period, and he sort of just came back one pre after one preseason, and he just he had mastered how to take advantage of a short side. You know, he he'd drop a man on the on the fourth defender, then take him on down the short side. And Luke Keary, over the last 18 months, I don't know if there's a better footballer taking on short sides in the rugby league at the moment. He's unbelievable, Luke Keary. Yeah, he catches your boss prize there. Like it's a different. Um, short side defence if you get your numbers right you can generally handle yourself pretty well but the thing with Luke he does the speed that he catches the ball he catches it right on the advantage line and the speed that he gets the defender to make a decision it just happens so fast it causes a bit of confusion there he's definitely um, definitely a great asset to his game and um, I think he's even his longer percentage plays from a bit wider out have started to Four over the last, but you're right about Freddie. You know the other thing with Freddie is a little bit different to Luke. If you're that short side defender and Freddie bowls around the corner and comes down at you, mate, you got to worry about tackling him. You got to worry about his pass. You know, there's plenty of plenty of decision making going on if Freddie's running at you. Without a doubt, yeah, he he just he, he uh, he's the most complete footballer I think I've ever seen. Brad Fiddler, he was incredible. Mate, on a personal uh, coaching note yourself, obviously you've been the assistant there for a few years. You've had great success. There's a couple of NRL jobs going at the moment, whether it be the New Zealand Warriors or over at the Canterbury Bulldogs. Are any of those uh, tickling your interest at the moment? No, I've had um, uh, 
a little bit of been linked to a few positions, not the Bulldogs. I know that appears to be uh, uh, gone now. I think anyhow, but no, I've got a contract for the next couple of years in the Roosters, and I'll be honouring that. Um, I think I've been pretty clear in saying that for the next for this year and next year, I looked at Robbo and Nick are two of my closest friends, and like I'm not having this discussion with anyone at this point in time if it wasn't for those guys. So I've been with the Roosters for close twenty years, and just not comfortable leaving unless it's right and I wouldn't do that um, you know if I'm, if I'm good enough to be a head coach those opportunities will still be there at the end of that but signing off on um, my Roosters career is just as important to me as signing into the next career so I've got to um, I've got to handle that in the right way and look I, you know the interest if it was there from New Zealand are flattering I think they're exciting prospects of the club I really do um, but for now I've got um like I said, I've got to honour the agreement and I'm comfortable with the decision I make to, to stay with the Roosters for the next couple of years. But yeah, I think a club like the Warriors is definitely exciting and it's, you know, it's what can happen over the next couple of years. I'm not sure where I'll end up. But, but I must say, I must say, the most important thing to me at the moment is the Roosters. Yeah, without a doubt. Mate, speaking of um, coaching, and I think, you know, a factor of your career that, you know, it isn't spoken about often. Um, other obviously, he was a head coach at the Steelers, the Cronulla Sharks. You were a young bloke growing up there. What sort of an influence did that have on you? Good, really good. Look, I, was, I was a bit offended by a big article I read the other day and it was about all Jack Gibson's coaching and, and the, the, the people that he coached and developed out of his coaching. And I didn't mention the old fellow. I was upset for him, but he had four years as his assistant as Cronulla, at Cronulla um, and then took over after Jack left and won. He won the minor premiership in his first year. As head coach, um, yeah, they had a great team with ET and Mark Magor and Docking and Michael Speechfield, those Gavin Miller, of course. But um, so he did really well in his uh, three years as head coach, made the finals, and and then he's a super quiet, super humble guy. He just walked away. I don't know if the, I don't know if the Jack Gibson, um, remember the old philosophy on um, do you remember this where he used to say, oh, you can only have I think it was three years or four years at a joint and. Yeah, I'm just sick of hearing your messages. So I've never asked him that, but I wonder if he just he did his three years and went, all right, they're sick of hearing me. I'm out. He's tapped out. So, um, but he went back to Illawarra's footy manager for a while there, and uh, took over just briefly when Graham Murray moved on. But no, it's, it's been a, it's been a, a blessing for me. Um, you know, again, when we talk about footy, he's very very blunt. He doesn't doesn't talk, he's quite very quiet and doesn't uh, waste words. But if you looked at my uh, my life from the age of um, five onwards, and I'm 43 now, I've been in and around first grade Jesson Sheds. So um, you learn a lot about behaviour, characters, even small conversations as a kid growing up. You never forget them. And just a fascinating area that, um, the footy, the footy realm, and the relationships between players and coaches. So I've always been fascinated by that. So I would have to say it's been a good advantage. Tell me, mate, at the start of your career, obviously you make your debut in '98. The couple of years leading up to that, the Super League war explodes in Australia. Being a young guy coming into first grade, you know, did that have much effect on your development or where you ended up or anything along those lines? I wish it. I wish it did have a bigger impact on me. <laughs> got the uh, got the, the back pocket. Yeah, I wish so. Um, now look, we're at an ARL aligned club in the Steelers, and um, I was only eight hours and nine hours time. So I signed a, a ten thousand dollar loyalty agreement to stay with the ARL and stay with the Steelers. I was pumped. I thought, oh, that was that was 
that was all I was worth at that time, I can tell you that. So um, I, I was stoked with that, very happy. I, I wish I missed, I missed that money pool there and then missed the one there on now. So unfortunately, we played right in the middle of all of it. But no, it, was, um, it didn't have a huge impact. It was pretty straightforward at that time. Um, and then my debut in 98 was back with 20 teams in the competition anyway. Tell me about your debut, mate. How did you find out that you would uh, don the Steelers jersey for the first time? Oh, mate, I went surfing that morning, to be honest with you. I just, I just thought I was on the bench because Brad McCoy was the starting lock. I'd been, um, I'd been for a surf, and I remember just sitting in the sun in the stands, and I was just all nice and relaxed. I thought, oh, if I get on the field for however long today, that'd be great. I was uh, just to experience it, you know. And then as the Farrell walked up to me, and I was sitting in the stand, he goes, ah, oh, mate, you're starting today. Um, Mac is sick. I just went, oh my god. And um, mate, we were playing the night day, and they had cheeks. Adam McDougall, the John boys, mate, Robbie O'Davis was doing backflips after tries, and they were a unit at the time. And I think we scored first. We went up like 6 0, but we got we got run down pretty pretty heavily by the night. But it was an awesome experience. I'll never forget it. And, um, I was always thankful. I've got to say, I really loved what playing for uh, Andrew Sarr. He was a great man and great supporter of mine. So I was happy. And he had a lot of trust in me as a young player and threw me in there. and probably wasn't physically ready, but he still believed in me. Tell me about that first game coming up against the Johns brothers. Obviously, they'd won the comp the previous year and were just full of confidence. They must have been a pretty scary prospect. Oh, yeah. yeah. They were so, um, the team was so big and powerful. We, we had a good young team. Like If, if we kept that... That Illawarra team was a good young, they were very young and they were very polished in their careers at the time. And I remember the, the size and the power of trying to tackle Chiefs and those guys. But the Johns boys were yahooing and some weird connection. They're making hoots and hollers at each other and throwing the ball around and expressing themselves. And it was, it was, whilst nerve wracking, it was impressive to see. Mate, you mentioned that really good young squad you had at the Steelers. Um, to some extent, it all comes crashing down the next year when the merge happens. You know, that's for, for young people nowadays to think that two footy teams would merge together. You know, it's just about unheard of. How did that all work? I don't know, it's very hard to do. They pulled it off. They really did. Um, look, everyone, obviously, if you're from the Dragon side of things, you would like to stay together with all your Dragons friends. And I feel a lot of guys want to stay together with all the friends, but um, wasn't to be. And they basically just... Got we all knew that you know, everyone knew the merger was being discussed and, and going to happen, and then eventually, um, they chose 12, 12 Steelers players and 13 um, Dragons players to make a squad of 25. And I was just fortunate, I was one of those 12, but it was a tough time for the ones that didn't didn't get in. But uh, from a personal note, it was thrilling, and, and it was it was great. Well, they, they handled it really well, I've got to say that. They, the, the Dragons, it was tough, it's not as easy as. As it may seem, you get all these good players thrown together and you can just win footy games. There's a fair bit in it. And um, the benefit of hindsight now to make that grand final and all that not win it, but that was a remarkable achievement, I think. Mate, you mentioned that they had 12 Steelers players, 13 Dragons players. Was that, like, were those two numbers, were they set in stone that they had to pick 12 from the Steelers, 13 from the Dragons, or was that just how it ended up? Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, that's a good question. I'm not sure where the balance lay there. It's whether they just put their put twelve of each down and had a swinging vote, I'm I'm not sure. I really I can't answer that question. 
You mentioned making that grand final an incredible effort. Also, the team you came up against, the Melbourne Storm, they'd only been in the comp for two years or whatever. An unbelievable grand final. So tell me about the lead-up to that grand final because I remember that game against the Sharks you guys played and Mundine, yep. that might be the best game of football I've ever seen someone play. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, he was, as the one who did the forward flip over in the corner, one of he scored a, uh, scored a try over in the far left corner. But he, yeah, he was, he was in rare form at the time. And, um, we'd had a couple of tough semis there. So that, that was a huge win for us and, and gave us plenty of confidence in the lead up. And that when, you know, him and, and Nathan Blacklock was flying at the time too. So we had, um, like I said, we had a good squad, like Trent Barrett, Tim, I don't want to start naming guys. We had, that use and then the experience of McGregor's and um, Brad McCoy and buddy Mark Hines for the year and you know got that Nathan Brown like great people and great players so it was just a really good blend of experienced guys that had seen it all and young guys having them having the crack. Now Mundine the grabbing kick, they'll score. It's given the over. Is there a question of offside? No, he points to the spot. That 99 grand final, it starts fantastically for you. You score the first try. What were you paying that day? $5. <laughs> did any of the boys get on it or what? Damn right they did. <laughs> 55s, massive. Because you yeah, started 50. on the bench, didn't you? Yeah, but it was only every minute. I was, you're on, well, I don't know, I don't know how long it was into the game, but you get on pretty quick because it was, it was only every minute. So there's people coming off and going every, you know, that's probably, probably not, that far out of the realms of getting a try, but not for a forward. You would have backed a, maybe an interchange sort of utility or something. But anyway, a few of my mates did and paying 55 bucks. So got a couple of schooners out of that. Mate, we'll talk about it more later, but fuck you, you knew your way to the uh, promised land in a grand final just quietly. Uh, yeah, managed to crash over in a couple. I wish it was um, a bit more spectacular for him. I dived on a grubber. More or less barged over from three metres out twice. <laughs> um, they're not they're less than spectacular, but it's still the name on the scoreboard in the grand final, so I'm, I'm stoked. I'm stoked for sure, and not, not something I'd probably be remembered for. That's just, no, I don't think so. I thought those three-metre charges would have turned into uh, 50-metre charges by now. Yeah, they, they're getting longer, don't worry. They're getting longer for people that haven't seen it. <laughs> Mate, that, um, that grand final obviously ends in... You know, just utter chaos with the uh, penalty try. Explain to me, were were you on the field at that time? Were you on the bench? What 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 was the feeling surrounding that moment? It's bizarre. Um, it's a long time. Yeah, it's hard to really like have vivid. I'm more vivid about after the game. I just saw the effect it had on our senior players, and I was just I was I was my second year first grade. Like I, I, to even be in a grand final just spinning and um, I just saw the impact that it had on our senior players and um, I, I can that's that's the hardest part of all of it um, and uh, you realise the opportunity missed when I saw the effect on those guys and it's probably getting um, talked about more as time goes on but it's just a game of footy isn't it like it's just ebbs and flows and um, you didn't shut the game out they got back into it, and then they come down to a, a big call, and that's that's what happened. But um, I don't think anyone uh, anyone's to blame. It was just we just probably should have shut the game out, really. And, and I'm sure we'll. Um, it's, it's one of the great grand finals if you look at it um, in the big picture sense. But a disappointing night for the Georgia Royal Dragons and anyone who was involved in it.
What about that try Nathan Blacklock scored? Yeah, that sort of 50 50 bounce and just oh. hit it. And, um, Jeez, ballsy to charge onto that, it. Yeah, he was lucky, like a Mick Allison wasn't standing in front of him when he caught it, I think. But he, uh, <laughs> he, he was such a brave play, that just to hit that. And his incredible uh, spatial awareness as a player, uh, Nathan, just to be able to like, time, get that on and just. Just let it go and go straight for it, and kill or be killed, and you come out the other side. It's great. Fitzy, had you uh, had you signed with the Roosters at that point, or did it come after the grand final? No. Come after the grand final. Um, yeah, I probably probably wore a bit of flack for leaving in the end, but the, the reality of what happened was I was negotiate throughout that um, semi, and a couple other things that happened, and wasn't feeling um, like I was a priority. And at the end of it. I'd, Still, if you if you're a player and you're off contract, you, you know that most guys are signing in what signing June, July, August, aren't they? They're not. Um, they're still unsigned after the grand final. So I actually went uh, went and had a few beers with the boys, and I was still undecided about what to do. And um, went up to um, went up to Sydney on like the Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday, something like that, and met Bernie Gurr and um, Phil Gould and agreed then. So I hadn't actually signed anywhere until after the grand final. So, um, that was a big call and, and history will tell me I made the right call there, but it was still tough. I'm, I'm so close with all the guys that I've grown up playing with in the Illawarra and I'm still close friends with all of them and I still live down here. So it's a big attachment for me. So it's a big call, but I feel like it was the right one. Yeah, I, uh, I'm willing to bet you've made worse decisions in your life. <laughs> It's paid off well for me, put it that way. The opportunity to be in such a great team when I, when I signed with the Roosters and players and an era we had there as a team. And then now the, um, for them, I played there for 10 years. And for them to, to give me a, a position now to coach for the last nine years, it's, um, I, I couldn't, yeah, I, I wouldn't have thought when I signed that it was going to be such a good relationship for me. But um, now I'm one of my, my second family now. Mate, you um you obviously signed with the Roosters. They're captained by Brad Fittler, the Australian captain at the time. Tell me about the first time you met Freddie. Called me. I remember um, after it all happened, I got a few mates that um, grew up in West Wyalong, and we just went out to West Wyalong just to go motorbike ride and hang out and a few beers. I just wanted to get out of it, like um, get away and, and chill out for a bit. And I remember um, I just phone call. I didn't know the number, so I just let it ring through and left a message and. I'd feel like, oh shit, Brad Fittler called and left me a message. That's when I sort of hit home, you know. So I had to um, go back and have a chat. He was just, just ready. Just, mate, welcome. Great, good state sign, mate. Just so, so welcoming, so calming. And then, um, that, you know, from then on, everything was a pretty, pretty seamless move uh, in the end. Mate, your uh, your coach there was of course Graham Murray. Um, you know, strange little turn of events that obviously a few years before that he was the coach of the Illawarra Steelers, and your dad um, took over from him. It's uh, it's a weird little world rugby league, isn't it? It's round and it's not that big, and everyone seems to come back around, and it's it's great for that reason too. You know, while we all get um, everyone competitive towards each other, it's very tribal. Um, always a war of words, there's always a bit of angst towards other people and whatever, but main rugby league people are great guys and, and you always when you put those club differences or team differences aside, mate, everyone gets on great. Like it's such a good community and 
One benefit I've been lucky enough to use the involvement in rep footy is just get to hang out with people from other clubs and wherever. It's so exciting. It's so fun. And it really is filled with great people. And we have our hiccups from time to time where people slip up, that's for sure. But um, the same reason as the boys are lunatics on the field, you, know, you can't just isolate that one part of their life. It's very hard to slip up from time to time. But listen, on the main, people you meet in rugby league forge, forge friendships for years. And, um, just again, you're probably sometimes probably doing it now. You probably need to sit back a little bit more often and realize how lucky you are. Solomona finding Fitzgibbon. He's over the line, Fitzgibbon. Fitzgibbon's over. That's a try. A try for Sydney Roosters. Mate, I, uh, I've spoken to obviously Bernie Gurr and your good mate Anthony Minocello over the last few weeks, and they spoke about that 2000 grand final. You essentially came up against a kangaroo side that day, didn't you? Yeah, the unlimited uh, interchange. I, mean, I, I don't quote me on it, but did they make fifty something changes? It was some astronomical amount of interchange. It was ridiculous. Yeah, it was. It was, it was a different like game. It wasn't rugby league. It was crazy. And the the quality of their team and um, and mate, they're wrong at Thorn and Webkin. and oh mate, just just relentless. But um, listen, we got back in the game. I scored that try late, and then I kicked the goal from the sideline, but it hit them the crossbar to make it 14-6. We got 14-8, who knows? But I would have thought we were, we were lucky to get back into the game. Not pretty dominant. Um, so where we were at as a young team there at the Roosters, we had some still Freddie and enough experience. Freddie, Rico, that's what I got. But um, that was a well-oiled machine, that Brisbane unit. I reckon that uh, that sound of the ball hitting the crossbar would have uh, echoed through your head for a while just quietly. It looked like a pin-perfect kick. Yeah, it, no, it's not lost on me that it might have changed um, the outcome. And they're the kicks that you live for is that the kickers right on the touchline. Uh, I thought I did everything right, obviously. Just give me little legs. Just didn't hit the thing hard enough, eh? And it's one of the very few times I've seen you not make the distance on a kick. Off the top of my head, I can't remember many other times when you haven't uh, got past the try line. Yeah, I'd have had a few. I did have some periods there where I... I um, I think there's a little balance on sort of my style of kicking where obviously I was always fatigued being a back row. So, um, and one thing I used to do when I was tired, if I try and kick too hard, it's hard to explain this, but it's, it's actually a bit biomechanical. If, I, if I'm really tired and I try and kick the ball too hard, I sink down on my front leg and it makes me hook the ball. And part of keeping the ball straight in the air, you've got to, got to keep my head over the ball and keep my hips up and tall. So I just was always reminding myself, don't don't overhit it because I'll miss. This was all about the routine of hitting the ball properly. And you know, most of the time it worked out, but a couple of times I didn't leave enough in it. Fitzy, I spoke to uh, Daryl Halligan a few months ago and he went through his kicking routine and he said the biggest mistake people make is trying to kick the shit out of the ball when they're tired, essentially. He had a, he had a certain routine that he followed that was the same in the first minute as it was in the 80th minute. Did you have a certain routine that you followed or, or a certain training program for your kicking you did during the week? 100% had similar routine. I worked with Daryl over a few years. He was great for me but um, as well. But no, definitely managing the fatigue for me was the number one thing. Obviously, um, the, the load of the, the forward is probably a bit higher than outside backs or whatever, but everyone's hard. Like, everyone's who is kicking that ball and a game's tired, so... I didn't say that as an excuse, but I had to really quickly, as soon as we score, try and get my heart rate back down and clear the mind. And, and mate, when the 
footy game, it's hard to explain, but your, your brain sounds like it's got signals crashing in it and static and noise. It's just like carnage in there. So to try and get your head to calm down back to baseline and then try and um, go through a routine was, that was important. And, and not kicking the shit out of the ball, was, that was part of the routine. I was just trying to slow everything down and pick yourself back up. And um, But definitely rely on a routine to do it. Mate, we spoke about that 2000 grand final, and I don't know how you want to describe them or what do you what what you want to call these players. But in my opinion, every team to win a comp, they need a real prick in their team. The other team doesn't want to come up against. And I think that man for you arrived in 2001, Adrian Morley. Tell me about Moz. Um, it's like a split personality, Moz, because you've never met a bigger gentleman, and it's like he was such. Uh, been fortunate because of the Roosters. The, the last we've been over in England for the World Cup challenges, so I got to hang out. Well, we stayed right near where Moz lives, so we spent heaps of time with him. It's like we've just never separated. He's such a good man. He's just an absolute gentleman and and just has white line feet as soon as he crosses his stripes. It's just win at all costs. And, and it's just the sort of player that you want to have in your your team and, and not against him. And, and he was hugely influential in his style of play. And we had like a, we had a really good balance. We had some sort of like, uh, like worker players like myself and Rico Mods for some impact and then you had some creative guys in Flannery and Crocker and, and you know we just had a and then we all knew one thing that we all knew this was really simple um, you know the impact of Mini and, and Wingy as well but we all knew if we got close enough on the scoreboard that Freddie would ice the game um, and you know going into a game with a real clear mindset and hey we'll do our jobs we'll roll the sleeves up and get all the work done and um, if it's close, Freddie will sort it out. And it's not, you know, your minis and wingies. Those guys, are, they're hard to handle and they've got points in them everywhere. So it's just such a good balance to the team. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Were you, uh, were you playing in the test match where Adrian Morley uh, took off Robbie Kearns' head in the first eight seconds of the game yeah. or something? Yeah. Yeah, I sure was. I sure was. So, um, mate, late, we only just won that game. We got the three. We only just won all three tests actually on the bill. Um, yeah, the, uh, I remember he winked at me on my finger in the anthem, and then um, he more or less just started. Yeah, he <laughs> winked, sang the anthem, shook hands, and then he comes up with that. It's like, oh, that's just. I knew he had white long season, but not like that. <laughs> Mate, speaking of Morley, um, you get to you get to that two thousand and two grand final, and I spoke to Bernie Girl last week about the Richard Velasanti hit on Freddie being a turning point, and it really it flicked a switch in uh, Adrian Morley, didn't it? It started the catalyst. I think was starting to grind him back down, grind him back down, but then that happened, and it was like it happened immediately, didn't it? I think Moz got him the next set, and then. Um, and then Freddie come up with a couple of big plays, and then we just we we draw them away in the end there. But um, yeah, it was a big big moment in the game. It's a big moment in grand final history. No one's going to forget that. And um, it was, uh, definitely definitely the turning for, a turning point for us um, in getting the victory. And 
and we're going to back ourselves to go back in there, but it probably had a, a fair bearing on the the, the amount of um, that we did in the last 20 minutes, I suppose. Back for Shannon Hegarty. There's a chance for Fitzgibbon. Fitzgibbon must be horribly close. Mate, that 2002 grand final night, obviously you win your first premiership. It's your third grand final in, in what, four years. Um, you've lost two of them. You win that. You pick up the Clive Churchill medal. You score another try in a grand final, your third try in a grand final. I, I'd i be shocked if there's another four, whatever, that scored in three consecutive grand finals. What a night for you. Yeah, it was great. Um, just, uh, uh, just a culmination of everything. And, um, you would have heard about... Um, you would have heard about our training and how hard we worked throughout the course of the years. Ricky's first year, um, we, we set some new standards for ourselves as a club in our preparation and training and much hard work had gone into it. So you have um, just, the, it's like the ultimate relief when it's over. It's such a good feeling. I wish, and you're just so privileged in your life to be part of it. And a lot of people don't get that. And yeah, you can't. It's, it's, hard, to, it's hard to put into words because you've heard everyone talk about it. Surely, like you've heard anyone who's ever won or played in their final day talk about that. And everyone will say the same thing. But it, it is really hard to put a, a set of words together to make you go, oh, yeah, I get it. You know? Um, just a huge relief after a bloody long and hard year. Fitzy, when I spoke to Anthony Minicello a few weeks ago, he mentioned um, those that preseason with Ricky Stewart was just on another level, and Minnie described how hard it was. And then a few weeks later, I had um I had a bloke that was in your extended squad who messaged me and said, "Fuck, like if if you can understand how hard Minicello found it, he was the fittest one there. The rest of us, it was just absolute torture." <laughs> what do you remember from those sessions? Yeah, yeah, we went hard, eh? Like we had a, we went hard, mate. Um, you know, not to run through session plans or anything like that, but it was. I don't, I don't. I think it was probably just an, an acknowledgement of looking at the squad. We're all sort of tall, leaner guys, you know. We're all sort of six two, six threes, forwards, and pretty athletic. And I suppose all had a, an element of fitness in our game. And and maybe Ricky just decided to go with the the fitness and defence, but. Mate, it was it was excruciatingly hard, and and that a direct um, that's a direct answer for like it, it, we mate, it was responsible for the way we played, and it was responsible for winning the grand final. So it was worth it, whatever it was. It might have been bloody hard, and it might have been scary to think about. And and however hard you describe it, it won't match what actually happened either. But it was worth it. You'd do it again if it was going to guarantee your premiership, wouldn't you? Mate, you worked hard on the field. Off the field, you guys had a great time. Have you got a um, House of Grouse story for me? Uh, <laughs> me run through the House of Grouse City. He, he mentioned it, but he was he played a pretty straight bat for me, so I'm hoping I can get uh, something out of you. Uh, I'll keep a straight bat with it as well. But our wild times, times are different than to now. And we definitely um, fully trained hard and played hard on and off the field. Um, but one thing we never did, and um, pardon my language, we didn't, F with the footy, you know, like we just turned up. Like whatever we did on a Friday, Saturday night, when we come back Monday ready to go. And uh, well, I, I don't, I, even though it might have seeped over into our um, preparation, it, I just don't remember it ever being an anchor to our performance. And I don't remember it being an anchor to the way we prepared for games because we were training hard. But I would say that it's, it's not ideal preparation in the current climate. <laughs> it'd have been a big advantage to be given to another club. I think everyone might have been doing it at that stage. Ask you, mate. Obviously, you know when you played in the early two thousands compared to now. Would you rather play when you played? Uh, 
well, mate, I'm, I'm terrified after boys playing now. So I was terrified back then too, so it doesn't make much difference to me. Um, I, the, the, the fear of complete exhaustion was always huge for me. Man. Like, I was so nervous game day. And I never reacted to the nerves, but I just always felt like, what am I doing? Like, it's really... And then the feeling of being um, finishing a game and being it's going to sound perverse. I love the feeling of being bashed up and like you've had shit kicked out of here and whatever. That feeling sitting there with the boys after a game and sitting with your team members and blood, you're bruised up, bashed up. I'm paid good money to feel like that again. I'm not going to do it, but it's um it's priceless. It really is. So I watch what the guys go through now. I mean, I'm physically probably not the biggest, strongest guy, mate. These guys are 10 miles and legs off nowadays, I think. Well, tough to answer. I'd love to have, I would love to have the preparation that the guys have now to see what sort of athleticism level you could get to. But listen, the, 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 the era back then was bloody hard and it's still bloody hard now. It's a great game for that reason. Uh, everyone's searching for the extra 1% to improve, but there's some big, tough boys on the field nowadays. Speaking of improvement, mate, obviously the end of that 2002 season, you've come so far. You make your Kangaroos debut. Uh, how did you find out you'd been picked to represent Australia? Yeah, it was just on the on on the beers, mate. My mate's got a phone call, and um, well, I remember like just numb. Like I hadn't, I hadn't played um, I played country that year. I hadn't played State of Origin yet, so um, I remember walking out, just ringing mum and dad straight away. That was the first thing I did. I just and the boys, the boys were going mad. First, it was myself and Wingy um, that made it. And then I just remember just having such a great time. We just won back of a hard year. And then I remember the boys were going mad. First, they, you know, screaming and shouting. So it was great. It was such a such a good memory. Was it pretty daunting walking into that camp? You know, obviously you hadn't played State of Origin. You'd only played three or four years of first grade. Same as Wingy. Mm-hmm. How was that feeling walking into camp? It was a bit intimidating. Gordon was the captain and. Me and Shane Webke, big forward, Petra. I was, I was a little bit intimidated, but I was also, at the time, all playing good footy. Um, and, and I was also, um, I had a confidence in a confidence in my ability to play big games where I, I felt like I was going to, even though I was intimidated by those guys individually and, and you know, it's your first crack and they've been in there for, you know, six, seven years already, they've been over Australia. So I knew I'd be a new young kid, but I was also going, no, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play a style of footy that makes these guys respect me quickly. And I was confident in the fact that if I got enough time on the field, I was on the bench. I was confident if Chris Anderson was going to get, he was a coach at the time, give me enough time on the field that I would, um, uh, that I would show these guys that I was, you know, could be a valuable team member for them and they'd respect the way I played footy. So, um, you know, we got a win. Um, did I play great? Sort of went okay without, without, um, Shining, I don't think, but it set me up for a, a decent uh, Australian rep career for the year, coming years after, where I felt like I had a good good time playing alongside those guys. 2003 rolls around, mate, and winning premierships is hard. Defending them is obviously incredibly more difficult. What changes did you guys make that year? Yeah, winning after winning is a good question we have as coaches now a lot, and um, I'm sure Ricky and the coaching staff are having it back then as well, where... You, you want to stick true to who you are as a team and as a club, and and we still did um, with the Roosters back then. I think we stuck true to the our defensive principles, where we're you know we're a big athletic team, we're line speed, and, and we we stuck true to an aggressive style of play, and um, you know some just fine moments where we we didn't capitalise on 
maybe field position or opportunities, however you want to call it. But I, I think we represented the style of play we wanted to have. We just fell short, which is disappointing. So it's very hard. If you want to all the while still represent the way you play, the way you defend and all that, but you, get, you have to do have a couple of elements that can um, catch an opposition out. But you can't you can't go into a game thinking about those couple of elements because if you're trying to win a grand final via a trick shot, trying to win a grand final via a trick play, it ain't going to happen. You got to win a grand final by you know the best representation of your style of play as a club, um, your style of defence, your style of attack, and and do it to the best of your ability to win the big game. Now, we probably represented it, but it wasn't as at the level that we had been previously. Mate, hindsight is a fantastic tool, and if you were to use it now, based on what you've learnt over the 2018-29 season when you guys went back to back, is there you know is there anything you would implement that Trent Robinson had put in over that two year span that you think could have come in handy for your side back in 02 and 03? No, like I yeah I don't I don't think um I don't I don't I wouldn't say there was an actual element. Trent, we've kept it very simple for our last couple of years. And, and I mean, I, I, we're all clear as to what we were trying to do in those, back in 2003 and four. But if you have our, our style of play and, um, again, our defence and, and everything we were trying to achieve back then, we just obviously didn't do it to the level that had made us so successful. It was still a damn good showing of yourself to get to a grand final and play that way. But then it will forever burn us that all of us didn't play our best footy on that night and, and get over the line. Um, you know, there's a, such a small difference in both teams on, on a night like that. We're on the wrong end of that for the three and four seasons, but I still think we, we played hard. We just didn't play our best. Geez, um, Luke Prittis had one hell of a game that night, didn't he? Yeah, he did, he did. When he won the Clyde Churchill medal, everyone remembers the Sattler tackle, which was an amazing moment. But yeah, he, was, he controlled the game, Luke. The other man that really impressed me that night, I thought he had a huge game, Martin Lang in the middle. Obviously, uh, wet weather footy. He really took it to you guys, didn't he? You know what? Like the, what, what simple as that, and as, you know, we were all trying to organise organise intimidation and aggression and all of those things, but they were, they were relentless as a team, Penrith. They kept it super simple, um, big, powerful guys, hard to tackle. I mean, Martin was relentless no matter what the circumstances, but Portillo was in his Heyday, Nullavow, and then off the back of those guys charging in and, and um, yeah, Prittis and, and Gow were capitalising on, on those guys. Um, they, they, were, they were hard to handle. That's a good team. And young kids like that, Lewis and Rooney, that, that, that's a bloody good team and they were hard to hold out. And unfortunately, the fine moment for the, the big game um, went their way. And if you had your time again, it's, um, it's really hard to pick on one moment, but I just thought we just didn't... We, we, we played hard, but we didn't play... Our best dollar city. Mate, after that, you go on the 2003 Ashes Tour, and, you know, we touched on it earlier. They were all such close games. It's one of the most underrated series of rugby league ever. That was awesome. Oh, really good. Like, great experience. First game we were tour. A lot of injuries, actually. We had a lot of guys pull out and um, prior to the tour, and then also the Great Britain squad. If you have a look at that team, it's a damn good Great Britain team. So that was a great series for us, and um, to win all three games on the bell and things that pop out of the the tour. No, no, we had a great time, but mate, the, the the footy, the standard of footy was great, and um, yeah, Darren Lockyer's leadership in those games, and he iced he iced them for us. He was it was an incredible opportunity to play alongside him for some, and um, all at length, and anyway, but he was he was remarkable that series, I thought. 
Who was your uh, Who was your roommate on that tour? That tour was actually Phil Bailey. He's a good time, Phil Bailey. A bit of a sneaky one. Great fella. Great fella. Absolute champion. Um, it was, we had such a good time. So he was, he was my room. It was a 10 week tour, so it was the first in. <laughs> yeah, it's Got a good night. Well. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was great. We had a good time. Those tours were, that was, that was, that was good. Um, a good opportunity and, and experience. Um, that was the first time I'd been in England and, oh, it was fantastic. Mate, 2004 rolls around and, you know, it's sort of, as the year went on, it became the Brad Fittler farewell tour, um, losing such a legend like that and then coming into that grand final. In my opinion, you know, I, I've got the 2004 Roosters and the 2001 Eels as possibly the two best teams to never win a premiership. It was one hell of a side, wasn't it? Again, we had, we were very clear in how we were playing, what our objectives were. Like I said, we got close enough. Um, and, you know, Freddie is just, you know, he's a, over time, I'm biased, of course. He's the best player I've ever played alongside because I saw him deliver so many times, you know. Um, knew at the end of an era. And, um, yeah, it hurts that we don't we don't get the win by the end of the year. But for, uh, before Freddie signed off, it was an opportunity to play alongside. He's just a legend, out now legend. And um, some of the stuff he could do in a game, yeah, uh, it was a privilege to, to play alongside him. So... In that game, that grand final, I think one play that stands out for me with Freddie, I'll never forget it, that that left foot banana reverse kick that he put in for Chris Walker, like he's the only bloke in rugby league that could have pulled off that play in a grand final. Just incredible, his instincts. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. He, um, that was that's just one in a career full of them, really. And I can imagine how many tight games where he just jams that sidestep in and goes straight through under the post. It's just um, tough, big, skillful. He's pulled back into the thread. So, um, so I said, we'd still burn this now as players that we didn't send him off in the right fashion. But that's what he do. You can't, we can't fix that anymore. And still acknowledge we had a great team and a great era that probably fell short there. I've been to a number of grand finals, probably 10 or 15 over the last 20 years. And I think that night there, the the atmosphere around it, it was just a grand final that had been coming for three years, the Roosters against Canterbury. It was amazing, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. Um, they were in there. Uh, assembled a, a pretty fearsome team. And um, they, were, uh, they were lucky. You talked about, I think Bernie said he had um, players in the sweet spot and Canterbury had a team full of young guys and players in their sweet spot as well. And, um, I'm kicking game of Sherwin just was clinical uh, at key moments. So yeah, um, they were such a, a good squad, and, and in the end, they got the job done that day. After that 2004 grand final, you know, you've always been a pretty calm and uh, collected character. In that kangaroo tour, uh, you end up in a little stink with Paul Sculthorpe. Fuck, you didn't miss him. Oh, he started it. <laughs> <laughs> of course he did. Nah, yeah, yeah, nah. I landed on him. He, he, on, on the ground, I actually squashed his head with the elbow, and then he lashed, he, he lashed out a bit, so I lashed back. But actually, um, can you believe I didn't? Um, he's a good man, actually. He's a great fellow. I've had heaps of conversations with him. He's a really good guy, and that was great testament for you, isn't it? He can, he can get into that, and then there's no just play on, you know. Like I didn't get sent off. I got, I got charged for it. I didn't even get suspended. Like, oh God, I don't know. 
don't know how long I get to spend it for if I try to you try to pull a stunt like that now. Um nah, we didn't get suspended, but often based up against the next one, so it was great. It's a good old test match hard footy and um they you know, tip the cat. One thing I like about those guys is stress in the game, play, let's shake hands, cool, let's go, let's get ready to go next time. No, it's great. Did you uh did you catch up with Paul for a beer after or anything? Uh, not straight after no, I caught up obviously times throughout those those tours, but um mate I've, I've seen him around the traps enough, Scully and um actually talked to him the other night on a Zoom call. He was doing a ride for charity with a mate of mine, you and Dow's and we got on and had a laugh about it and had a joke. He's a, he's a great fella. Mate, you return in 2005 to the Roosters, um, the Brad Fitlerless Roosters. What sort of a hole did he leave in the club? It's tough. There's a um, probably a leadership back in there. And then um, you know, Rico took over there for a bit, and then the year after Rico left, there was like a two a two stage process in in a leadership back in. So just those guys, their presence and leadership around the club is huge, and and I think we're all learning. Um, how to, you know, nowadays clubs are pretty well equipped to go, okay, this player of this calibre is leaving, what are we doing to fix it? Player of this calibre is leaving, what are we doing to fix it, you know? And I think at the time, the answer would have been, we'll just get rid of all old players and start again from scratch. But I think it's just about balancing those. When, you know, when you, if you lose a leader like Freddie, you can't replace a guy like that. So what do you got to do? You've got to try and get a, a good character to fit fit in somewhere, you know, maybe develop a young half to fill his shoes, but extra uh, leadership player in the forwards or, you know what I mean? You've got to account for that stuff. And um, that was two really big voids that we probably didn't fill. How did the game change for you when you became captain of the Roosters? Um, oh, well, I sort of handled it poorly to be perfectly honest to start with. I just, one thing that you, I love about coaching is analysis of yourself and, um, and, knowing where you go wrong and, and, and figuring that out. I think I was just too... Well, I was just couldn't understand why people didn't think like me. It took a while to figure that out. And, mate, the timing, I felt the pressure of being... Um, felt like I was by myself in a leadership sense and then had Brace who was learning, but he was young um, when he'd come in. So, you know, again, just a huge leadership vacuum and, and I didn't probably get the job done as well as I'd like. I think I got better over, over time. But, um, you know, that was a tough couple of years. After those tough couple of years, though, you make the move to Hull. Tell me about making the decision to finally leave the Roosters. Um, yeah, look, we just got to that. Um, again, we had uh, 2008, we had a great year. And then 2009, we had a terrible year, as you know. But um, I just felt like, um, it, you know, I'd been there 10 years. Um, they, I'm, I'm certain they would have they would have wanted to, to move on from me and I needed to move on from them. So I think we both needed a break from each other as much as possible. And I felt like uh, I'd, I'd organised to work for the Roosters, but I, I needed to go away. And I was supposed to just, I was only just going to go the hole for one year because I felt like I had a little bit of free left, but I lasted two years. And um, the most enjoyable experience I've had is unbelievably good and um uh, for myself and the family and footy and friends I've made over there. And then it set me up to work. I was re- I was done. I was cooked by the time I come home and I was ready to get into, into footy and um, it was, ended up as a huge blessing in disguise and I'm really thankful that the Roosters let me go and do that and I'm really thankful that Hull took me in. Now, mate, mistake me if I'm wrong, but you, you played for Hull FC. Now, I believe your father played yep. for the Rovers. That's essentially the Roosters and Souths over there, isn't it? 100%. 100%. Uh, Did you cop well, a bit of stick or what? A little bit, but it doesn't matter if the history doesn't count. If you play for Hull SD, you're going to get stick from Hull KR and vice versa. So it didn't matter too much. 
they're always going to be off me. It was great playing a couple of derbies. Really good, really good time. Really good experience. And yeah, dad, dad, dad talked me into it. He said, you know, because I was talking about going to England. I said, I just need to get some footy out. And he said, I got a hole, you'll love it. And um, thankfully for me, it ended up being a hole there and it worked out great. Mate, after that, you obviously go into the coaching ranks with the Roosters. We've we've already spoken about it briefly. There's just one last thing I want to ask you about. That 2018 grand final, obviously, it looks extremely unlikely that Cooper Cronk's going to play, and he, he essentially comes from the dead and plays that grand final. Tell me, how did that week unfold? When did you realise, shit, this bloke could actually play this grand final? Oh, no, he shocked the shit out of us, too. Don't worry, like, we... All but resigned at the back, and um, well, that in my head, we we're going through all different scenarios how we we're going to play, who we we're going to play, and what we we're going to do, and all this stuff. And then, with um, Steph Brennan, I had a medical to see a, um, a different a doctor for a, a series of injections and, and see if that was going to work in his shoulder to numb the pain. And I remember coming to work the next day, and I was just sitting in Robbo's office and I was chatting, and Robbo said, Kids is playing. And I was like, Oh, look, what, huh? And he went, Yeah. What morning was that, Craig? Oh, I don't know. I can't remember the particulars. I'm pretty poor with. Yeah, okay. Um, look, pretty poor with uh, time stamping going backwards. I've seen it just jump forward too much. But I do remember clearly sitting there going, playing? I just couldn't. He come in all bubbly that morning. Yep, I can do it. I'm going to do it. I was sweet. I was just going, man. Even still, I was just going, no, you can't. This won't happen. Like, I understand the gravity of the guy's injury. Shoulder blade was broken. I, it just doesn't, yeah, unbelievable. Toughest, toughest footy feet I've witnessed. Mate, it must have been a, a pretty nervous time for you and Trent Robinson coming to that game. Like, obviously, you're playing Melbourne. They're the kings of targeting individual players. Like, obviously, you can't build an entire game plan around targeting a halfback, but you would have, you know, like, I, I, I didn't think Cooper Cronk had to make as many tackles in that game as I expected. I thought it was going to be a brutally tough night at the office for him. I thought they'd just run at him all day. Here's where I differ a little bit where um, I feel like with, um, with what players want to do, all, all the criticism of Melbourne or the criticism of um, other teams and clubs that before where what they'll say is, oh, how come you didn't target him? How come you didn't target him? And, mate, that's easy to say. If you want to target a guy that stands two or three positions in from the sideline, you're going to divert all your club, your energy, the attack out near the sideline. You're letting our forwards off the hook. You're not winning the middle. You're not winning the battle. You won't win the battle. So if you want to change um, your style of play that you've had for an entire season to get to a grand final and then rock up and go, you know what? Why don't we just draw our attack out here, which you haven't done all year. This doesn't make sense. It's too hard to, you know what I mean? It's too hard to, to change that. Sure, you could ask them some questions there, but... Um, yeah, we would have. He would have. I think he showed. Didn't he? he jumped in front of a couple anyway, didn't he? Oh, for sure, but, mate. He he, he didn't yeah. miss all game. Fuck, he's a tough little hombre. Nah, it T- is, but does that make sense here? Yeah, where if you if you're Melbourne, do you throw out what's got you the big big dance in the first place just to target a guy out? And they, that I, I would have thought too. I would have thought too. They they, thought, they wouldn't have known what right up the game that he was playing. You kept it under wraps. Tell me, when did the playing group find out and what was the reaction? I imagine it must have made a huge difference in that squad. Again, hindsight, I think it sharpened everyone to, to protect him and play a little bit harder and, and put their best performance in. I think that possibly gave us a positive advantage in the end. But, um, yeah, I, I can't remember the details of how it all happened, but um, 
just an incredible feat. Like, it really was. The guy was shot. He was a shot dark. But the benefit of everyone inside and outside in protecting him was, uh, was huge. And, and, yeah, maybe it made it surge even harder towards the finish line. I've got a couple of questions from my followers on Instagram. The first one is, yep. um, who was the toughest player you came up against? Um, yeah, you know, I always uh, respected the hell out of Petro Sidney Sleva. His relentless nature, just every game, rock hard, non-stop, um, no frills, and just every time you, it's like hitting a rock hard moving body over and over again. And you know, no matter how hard you hit it, it's still going to keep coming at you. <laughs> I think it's unfortunate in the modern game now, the way that front rowers are heading, that a guy like Petro Seven Receiver, like his, you know, what what he brought to a game of footy, you know, it's it's almost now unfortunately being overshadowed by your you know, your explosive front rowers that are breaking tackles that are offloading constantly. It's a yeah. real sign of how much the game has changed, isn't it? A bit, but Petro, he still would have been a damaging player now. And and just, there's a reason all the teams that he played in over the course of his career were successful. You just got to, you can't underestimate what those guys can do. You know, that you're having the worst day out and one of those guys trundled forward, they carried three defenders for an extra 10 metres that could be just the one moment that the rest of the team can capitalise on, you know. Fitzy, last one. I've had a few questions um, about people asking. Apparently, you're into um, some Olympic weightlifting. Is that true? <laughs> I think that's a tee up, to be perfectly honest. I'm probably looking at skinny I am and go, well, you clearly doesn't lift any weights. No, I, um, I'm, I've got. I've got rotten shoulders. I need a shoulder replacement on one side and the other one's rotten. So, mate, I, I just surf and some other training and light lifting, but I definitely wouldn't be strong enough to be throwing around Olympic lifts. My shoulders wouldn't handle that. Mate, I'll tell you what, it's a cracking G up because I've had about six questions about it. Someone's done a special really? on you here. Yeah, and they're, they're all asking me about a carnivore diet you're on. Is that is that true? Or uh, are people talking out of their nah, arse? No, nah, not carnivore, not carnivore, but I just, I've always paid attention to my nutrition and I, 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 I was a shot duck in like 2006 or seven. I was when Minnie had his really bad back injury. Yeah, um, and you'd name Minnie's right into his nutrition as well. What we did was we just really started to research why our bodies were so inflamed and why we're struggling with injuries and can't process inflammation well. And so we just um, got right into a nutrition myself and Minnie, and um, we just you know focused on just eating the top, you know, really quality ingredients and, and cutting all the shit out and uh, high starches and and. Um, you know, complex cars and just cut all that shit out and basically just end up, I end up getting a fair bit leaner, but my body just sorted itself out. I end up lasting another four years too because my injuries weren't so bad. I finally processed all that inflammation and managed hanging there. So no, I'm not, I'm not carnivore, but I definitely try and eat clean and I love a, I love a surf and a, and a beer and I'm, I love to, if I'm going to have a few beers in the day, I have an armor or a couple of glasses of wine with my wife and, Sure, I'm eating healthy, you know. I don't want to, don't want to drink and eat poor at the same time, so I like a little like a quiet beer or a wine here and there, so I eat good to make sure I can um, stay, stay healthy. Mate, you spoke about Anthony Minicello in that 06 time. Did um did yep. what happened to Minicello, you know, all of his injuries, did that give you a bit of a scare and, like, sort of force you towards changing your ways as far as diet and everything goes? Oh, uh, yeah, it did watching him struggle. I was busted myself. I had a really bad ankle. I couldn't train. I had bad Achilles, bad ankle. I had surgery on it. Couldn't run for four months. Um, couldn't train for most of the year. It doesn't see. I was just the roosters were just looking at me, going, "I'm just worn out." Off the back of the 
two, three, four, five seasons years old, all with grand finals, origin, kangaroo tours at the end of them. We just had too much footy in a short space of time. And getting to 30 years old, so they were just looking at me and going, we're going to retire this guy's busted. So I went, well, right, I panic and if I don't figure out what's wrong with me, I will get retired. And fortunately for me, I, um, 2007 started to sort all that out. And then by 2008, I ended up playing for New South Wales and Australia again. So it was a huge, it was a huge turning point for me. Mate, I, uh, I congratulate you on everything you've achieved in your illustrious playing career and the fantastic things you're doing at the Roosters now. I can't wait until you get a head coaching gig somewhere. Really looking forward to it. Thanks for coming on today, mate. I really appreciate it. Pleasure, pleasure. Nice chatting and, um, yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks, Fitzy, mate. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.